Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. And we've got a nice special episode here, especially for you local Raptor listeners. Uh, two guys out of the three from That's a Rap Podcast. We've got Jay and Andreas here. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate the time uh, talking some Raptors here before free agency and the draft starts. Thank you for having us. We're a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for, for asking us to join. I mean, we're always good to talk about raps and we're excited to uh, jump on the pod here and, and, and get this going. Oh, for sure. Uh, always like to talk some Raptors and, you know, primarily just because of my location just outside of Toronto. Most of my listeners are Raptor listeners. So this one is probably something they'll get a good value out of. And considering uh, I'm a Raptor fan myself, this is always going to be an enjoyable conversation. But you guys, uh, I personally on Isoball podcast talk about the, the landscape of the NBA, do my best to cover all 30 teams. And, you know, most of the time fail because it's so hard to cover all 30 teams as one person. But you guys specifically cover just the Raptors, which is super awesome. Um, so can you guys talk a little bit about how you started That's a Rap podcast? So what got you into it? Are you guys from Toronto? Like, give me, give me the backstory. What's up with you guys? Yeah, well, the, the backstory is that uh, the third member of That's a Rap, Jason, our, our wonderful producer there, he, he actually got this ball rolling. He'd been, him and I used to work together at the, for the Toronto Raptors as part of the fan patrol many, many years ago. And he kind of kept in touch, uh, noticed that I was a writer for Raptors HQ and said, hey, you're a writer there. Why don't you, have you ever considered podcasting? And that's where that kind of started. And then, uh, Dre, I think you can fill in the blanks on how, how you were, how you and Jason know each other. Yeah, Jason's definitely the bridge. Uh, we used to do basketball camp when we were teenagers. Like, I mean, like 14, 15 years old. And we went to high school together and we were both in, uh, oddly enough, um, extreme metal bands, uh, separate ones, but we did like battle the bands and stuff to, like on stage together. So we've always had like a like a mutual respect for one another. And I don't know how he dealt with my, my satanic metal phase, but he did, uh, one of the very few. <laughs> And we kept in touch. I was doing a lot of music journalism. He was doing like sound work for festivals. I believe I met him up like at a turf Toronto. So over the years, we just kept in touch. And um, I was doing podcast work uh, with a website called Live in Limbo when I was doing all of that music journalism stuff. And uh, Jason and I did a couple of episodes together. And when the Kawhi Leonard trade happened, I think that just sparked something at Jason where he said, I'm talking to this guy, Jay. He's like a Raptors expert. I'm talking to this guy, Dre. He's done podcast stuff before. This is the moment when that trade happened. He said, we got to start this right now. So I think he asked us both separately. And it's like, do you want to start this pod now? Yes. Oh, it's with another guy. Who? Oh, it's with Dre or it's with Jay. And we met literally on the air. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that it. That all happened the day of the trade. <laughs> That's unreal. I remember uh, what I was doing the day of the day, the day of the trade, day of the trade too. I was on my way to work and you heard some rumblings that, uh, that it was going to happen. And then I, it came up on my phone and I believe it happened early in the morning. And like, I yep. ripped into the parking lot and my, like my coworkers were like scared. They're like, are you running from the police? Like, where are you, what are you doing? Like, and <laughs> I, I can't really tell them that like, Hey, we just acquired like what could be like the best player in the NBA and you just don't know it yet. But <laughs> that's mm -hmm. kind of what happened. Uh, but <laughs> it's no, that's a special awesome. day for all of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but no, that's awesome. So you guys are a fairly new podcast, but I'm assuming not fairly new Raptor fans. Am I correct? Yep. Since day one. Uh, don't let the, the baby face fool you. <laughs> Been a fan of basketball for almost 40 years now. 
Love it. And Raptors basketball is obviously for 25. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say. My, my father was a massive Celtics fan. We're actually from South Africa. My, my father's Zimbabwean. And uh, when we moved to Canada, he basically, like, it was like a year before uh, the Raptors were inaugurated. So it was like, all right, we're going to swap teams. We're, we're going to be Raptors fans now. And I was obviously like, I don't even know. I think I was like six. So I was like really young, maybe even younger. I was really young and I didn't really have a say, but I was like, I like dinosaurs. I like <laughs> basketball. I've learned. So yeah, I'm totally on board with this. And I'm glad that they're local. So yeah, technically since day one, but unlike Jay, I remember very little of like the Stoudemire years. Cause I was like under 10 years old. So for sure. since day one. For sure. Yeah. So myself, like I'm 26. So I've basically been alive as long as the Raptors. So I can't necessarily say that like I'm day, day one. Uh, I've, I've, I've been kind of like on and off. Like I was like watching a lot of like the Vince Carter years. And I remember, you know, the second round missed shot against Philadelphia in game seven, going down to the wire. I remember that. And then, uh, you know, the, the transition into, you know, the Chris Bosch years, that was, that was a lot of fun. And then I just kind of, faded out between the overlap between that and the Bargnani years. That's where I started to fade it out a little bit. And then when I really came back into <laughs> it, us. okay, so I'm not alone there, which is good. Uh, <laughs> so when I really got back into it was the beginning of the 13, 14 season when we made uh, the Rudy Gay trade for what I think was Patrick Patterson, Grievous Vasquez and John Salmons, which was supposed to be mm-hmm. a trade that, uh, you know, put us further down uh, into the dumps after starting what I think was six and 13 and then we really started actually making a run and that kind of, that run kind of uh, started the, the, we, the North train, you know, from 14, 15. And yes, I think we uh, uh, got swept by the wizards that year. 15, 16 was the first run of the conference finals. And then 17, 18 were uh, got LeBron towed a little bit on that years. And then eventually we, uh, we made it to the finals and won a championship. So it was, it was good to finally catch on uh, the beginning, I guess, of the, uh, I guess that's like the very beginning of the bandwagon, if you'll call it, like the very, very beginning. Uh, so I guess that's kind of where I would consider myself, um, even though like, uh, even though I had been watching previous to that, I wasn't really paying attention like I was uh, in 13, 14, all the way up until now. So that's my context as a Raptor fan. But, you know, enough about how much of a Raptors fans we are. I think we, are, we all know what's going on here. Uh, let's talk about, you know, just kind of recap briefly uh, what happened um, at the end of the, uh, the season, the bubble going seven games with Boston, a, uh, a fantastic series. I might add credit to the Celtics. They put together a fantastic series, the OG shot in game three, the double overtime in game six. Uh, but I think what, uh, what really kind of stings with the fans is the, the play of Pascal Siakam, in my opinion, I think, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we can agree. He underperformed on both ends of the floor, uh, in that series. And, uh, it, it made for a lot of, you know, uh, is, is, is Pascal really the guy we need to be paying the 28% max to over the next four or five years? And uh, I personally think he's still that guy. Uh, I've got a lot of reasons to believe so. I wrote an article about it on Tip of the Tower. But I want to know what your guys' kind of opinion is. Do you guys think any differently of Pascal after that series uh, uh, against Boston, even considering that he, got, he ran into three stout wing defenders and Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown? and Jason Tatum checking him. Do you guys think any different of Pascal? Does it make you more worried? Uh, talk to me about that a little bit. Absolutely not. I'm like, uh, we already saw slight signs when the bubble first started that this is a guy where when he said he didn't touch a ball for like three months, unlike Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was pretending that, 
he actually didn't. <laughs> and it clearly was something that he needed to get back into rhythm to. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he's an athlete. He should know better. We're talking about Pascal Siakam, a guy who's miraculously been playing basketball not even for like half of his life, less than 10 years, whereas, uh, you know, LeBron James, the kid from Akron, Ohio, he's been at it since like he started, you know, like he's like athletically built. He was like either going to go into the NFL or the NBA, but he was set from a young age. Siakam wasn't. He just kind of fell into it and became a fantastic player. And I think that's just too much pressure that he's received. It's merely because he's becoming the franchise player where he's becoming the guy who's going to lead the team once Lowry is kind of too old to be the leader of the team, and now it's just a veteran presence. So, and judging his playoff performance last year, like that game one in the finals, like, right. I, I People forget about that really quickly. Right, exactly. I have very few doubts about this guy. If this continues on for like an entire year, then I'll say, uh-oh, what has happened to Pascal Siakam? But considering the drought, Considering that if those if the Boston Celtics had a better center, they could have actually won a championship. Like, this is one hell of a team that they have. And they're clearly making trades. They're clearly discussing, can we get um, Rudy Gobert at, at the five? You know, like, they're, they're trying to figure out trades right now where they can be a championship-caliber team because they're basically one piece away. And the fact that this is who we were up against then – we did reasonably well. I think people are being way too hard on Pascal Siakam. He's just in a bit of a funk. The same funk, you brought up the wizard sweep that Lowry was in. And guess what? Now Lowry is often discussed as one of the most underrated players in the league. And I'm right. going to point. assume that Siakam's also going to be in that same boat where he's going to be underrated because he's Torontonian. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said there, Dre. And I think just to add on to the fact that yeah, like you you touched on it. Siakam's meteoric rise has just been really unseen in the NBA. Where he's only in his his fourth season, third, fourth, fourth season. Mm-hmm. And every year it's been a you could you could almost say that from rookie to sophomore year to 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 from being that low first round draft pick to being the leader of the bench mob and being a G league champion already, that's already a high enough jump for most players. And then he still jumps up to the all-star level. And now he's trying to make that. This is the hardest part of his transition is becoming that number one player. And while he showed a lot of signs of that at the beginning of the regular season, this pandemic and his growth, has to hit a, a cap at some point, right? And he kind of hit that earlier this year. And I think that what he endured in the bubble, losing to the Celtics and the Celtics having, you know, for, for if you think about how long this pandemic was and how long these guys were off, in addition to what Dre was saying about Siakam not touching a basketball, is that we kind of knew that the Celtics and the Raptors were going to be facing each other in the playoffs, right? It, the writing was on the wall there that these two were going to finish 2-3. So think about that. That's six months for Jalen Brown to study Siakam's every move. That's a lot of time. And to have that much time to prep for Siakam's moves and his counter moves, they did an awesome job of that, and I give them credit for that. But um, I, I think that if Siakam has shown us anything, it's that you just cannot doubt the guy. So um, I, I'm on board with both of you here in terms of he's he's definitely still worth what he we're paying him, and that extension does kick in now. So if anything, because the extension only kicks in this upcoming season, we were still getting a great discount on him last season. That's a good so point. I, I, I look forward to him kind of showing his worth 
uh, come December 22nd. Yeah, I, I, you guys hit it right on the head. Like I was, I was hoping to be able to add something, but you guys just knocked it right out the park. Like uh, I think we forget, like uh, uh, Andres, you made a great point that game one against um, against the Warriors in 2019. Like people just forget he just dropped like a, a cool 32 and 10 uh, on Draymond Green. Like that, you, right. like wow, like you know what I mean? Like we're just gonna forget about that. Like that's pretty crazy. The only, the other thing too is like I think you could argue pretty vehemently that not only has uh, Siakam never been a first option on a team, I don't think he's even ever been a second option. I think Lowry for a lot of that, that playoff run last year, especially in those Bucks series and the Warriors series, you could consider him the second option. So mm-hmm. he's really being thrust into, uh, you know, this role as well, while still also being asked to maintain his effort defensively, uh, which I think is also something that we don't consider enough. Uh, just the fact that not only does he, uh, he have to, you know, carry the offensive load, but also, uh, you know, carry at least the second or third or sometimes first scoring option on the wing defensively. And I know OG has done a fantastic job of that. It looks like he's going to be that primary wing stopper going forward, which is uh, kind of, I would say, crucial for Siakam's development uh, to not have to carry that massive load. Uh, but I, I think you guys hit it right on the head. I, I am not worried in the slightest about Pascal Siakam. Now, let's, let's, let's be fair, though. He does need to improve. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think there are areas that uh, Siakam can get better Um, in the mid range. I would say is one area. Uh, He does have uh, a variety of crafty moves, the step throughs, the spin moves to get to, to get to the rim. But when he starts sitting on that, you've got to be able to have that in between game, obviously outside the arc, you want to see him uh, specifically off the dribble shoot better from there, but more specifically to all of that, I think I want to see Siakam be more efficient and more effective with less dribbles. You ever notice when Siakam gets into his moves, how many dribbles it takes for him to actually get to his move It invites the help. uh, And at this point I wouldn't uh, consider Siakam a necessarily dynamic passer out of double teams, uh, which is probably another place that he can get better. But more than anything, I think I'd like to see Siakam get more effective and more efficient with less dribbles uh, to get to his moves uh, to attract less uh, defensive help, which he's going to see continuously if he's going to be that first option. Uh, Do you guys agree with that? And what else would you say Siakam needs to improve on uh, to get to that place where we're not worried about him anymore? Yeah, I think the whole uh, spin move thing and everything was fantastic when he was second or third option, because if you imagine like you're looking at like a a Russell Westbrook or Kobe Bryant, somebody who's like the guy bringing the ball up, and all all eyes are on him. There's double teams. When you're the third option and you're Pascal Siakam, when you're not Kawhi and you're not Lowry, they dish it to you in the paint, you spin, and you get it up. When you're the guy bringing the ball up or you're trying to play make or you're trying to be, like, the, the main guy that's being double or triple teamed, you can only do so much. So he's basically got to stop being by the book. Like, it's as if he opened up 2K and it's like, we have this this – rule book and all these moves and stuff that you can do no he's got to break out of that be a little bit more improvisational and also all enough i would say dial it back and more fundamental as opposed to trying to be like the flashy guy because that's what right i agree that's what's great about him and the raptors overall like the spurs or the grizzlies at their at their height it's their fundamentals you know when the grizzlies did really well and they made the western uh, conference finals it was because they were grit and grind with the Spurs, I mean, their best player of all times literally called, you know, the, the big fundamentals. So I think that's that's where uh, Siakam is coming from. He needs to be that kind of a player where he's not going to be like a like a Dane Lillard or, or who's somebody of his size that we can compare to, like a, like a Jokic or something. He's not going to be the flashy guy. He's going to be the 
the the the basics to basics type guy who gets it to the rim, um, stop at the threes until you refine it a little bit. That should be a cherry on top. That shouldn't be a go-to mechanism. I agree. Um, just be fundamental because he clearly, and I believe this, is meant to play basketball because he he got into it so quickly and is already getting so much better. That means he's just built for it. That just, that means that he's naturally gifted as as a basketball player. You're an all star now, but not all stars have to be sparkly and flashy on the front of NBA 2K. Some all stars like Tim Duncan, just get it done. And that's what he needs to do. Just get it done and stop worrying about craftiness because craftiness works once in a while. He's got to just get it to the, get it, get it to the rim or get it out to an open, def- an open offensive player. That's it. Yeah. I think and, that the, the sorry, one, Jay, the just, one, be, one, just before you go, yeah, here, go, ahead, I, go for uh, it. like, I think we're selling Siakam short. Like Siakam was second team, all NBA. That means the NBA decided he was one of the four best forwards in the regular season. Like, that is very high praise for a player of Siakam Zilk. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure that we, we recognize that because second-team All-NBA is different from uh, what some people would consider fringe all-star, right? Like, D'Angelo Russell was an all-star, like, a couple of years ago. Like, are we saying D'Angelo Russell is as good as Pascal Siakam? Not even close to me. So, like, I just want to be, like, make sure we understand, like, Siakam at this point, point Siakam is an all-NBA-level player, and I think he'll continue to be that, even if it's third team. I still think he's going to be on that track uh, assuming he gets better. Sorry, Jay, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, abs- no, that, that's, that's totally fine. And I think the only thing I would add to that, and, and you make some great points there in terms of him being that all NBA talent is that we, we already touched upon it earlier about how little basketball he's actually played in his life. And I can't help but compare him to Neo of the matrix. And, <laughs> you know, whenever he needed to learn a new skill, he just got it downloaded and all of a sudden he was an expert at it. He is not Neo. I'm sorry. He needs time to learn and learn a new skill and grow it and it's not going to be as as simple as as and quickly as neo has so let's just give him time to like marinate on some of these skills and some of these skills that you have actually touched upon derek right he is able to pass quite well out of double teams he's it's getting there his mid-range game is improving it's just not there yet we we saw some of the the dirk fade away this year and just some mid-range pull-up shots uh from him we just kind of see more of that more repetition in that in that uh, aspect so the tools are there he just needs to hone them in a bit and i think that you know while we're looking at a very short off season uh the rest of the season and the way his growth projection has gone i think that there's still room for for a lot of hope there in terms of his his growth yeah i agree with that but overall nobody's panicking on pascal yet we, we still think he's got a lot of room to grow absolutely all right Let's uh, kind of move into now the offseason for the Toronto Raptors where, uh, you know, there are some minor decisions, you know, to be made. You know, we've got non-guarantees here for Matt Thomas, uh, Terrence Davis, who is facing some very serious allegations. We don't necessarily have to get into that. Uh, Dwayne Hernandez as well. All of those minor uh, deals. There's a pending, um, there's a, well, well, not pending, I would say OG and OB is now extension eligible. Maybe we can talk about whether or not he'd be willing to take an extension with the Raptors. Uh, but I think the big thing here is Fred Van Vliet, uh, probably one of the top free agent on the market right now, uh, has a cap hold of 17.7 million, almost certainly uh, uh, going to get paid more than that. Um, 
it seems like around the league, um, well, first of all, Fred's, Fred's looking to get paid, okay? He went on uh, Old Man and the Three podcast. He, I'm sure you guys heard it, right, how he, he said, it's mm-hmm. my time to cash out. Uh, I, I want my money, this, that, and the other. And he's fully in his right to do so. He bet on himself twice, uh, and it paid off. I think it's time for the organization to bet on him. Uh, what are you guys looking to uh, – what's, what's the walkaway number? for Fred Van Vliet. Let's just get right to it. We know how valuable he is to this team. He's 26. He's in the prime of his career. We're going to be locking him up, uh, plays both ends of the floor, uh, likely to be the successor to Kyle Lowry. Should he come back? What is the walkaway number you're looking to pay Fred Van Vliet to get him to stay while keeping in mind the 2021 plan that's, uh, that's going on. Uh, not necessarily, um, not necessarily, not necessarily subtly, I would say, uh, but uh, you know, the, the name Giannis Antetokounmpo does come up amongst Raptor fans quite a bit. And there's a reason for that. So uh, keeping that in mind, what's your, what's your walk away price for a guy like Fred? Are, are you talking about walk away for Fred or walk away for the Raptors? Walk away. Oh, good. Great question. Walk away for the Raptors. Okay. Uh, for me, I would limit it at four years, uh, 80 million. So we're looking at a 20 million cap. Okay. Uh, anything beyond that, I think, uh, you know, thanks for your service, but uh, this is as high as we'll go. Uh, I know on The Athletic, Blake Murphy and Eric Kareen had their own little mock negotiation. Sure. And uh, I believe Blake representing the Raptors never went higher than, I believe, 17 or 18 million. Yeah. So, and I imagine that that could be something that we could see play out. But here's one thing that um, I'd like to note based off of what you were just saying about the uh, the uh, JJ Reddick's pod there and, and what Fred had to say, a couple of big points came out of that for me and, and him talking, uh, Fred kind of showed two sides of this, right? On one side, it was, you know, I, I, I've kind of paid my dues. I've always, um, you know, kind of bet on myself. And I think that now it's my turn to get paid. So that, that one way to interpret that is whoever's the highest bidder, I'm all yours. But on the flip side, he also said things like, you know, he understands the importance of chemistry and he cited the Raptors and, and the Miami Heat during their both, both of their respective playoff runs. He also said that while he envisions himself to be a leader of a team, he also doesn't see the problem of sharing that leadership role currently with Kyle and Pascal. Uh, I think that the the whole I want to get paid kind of got lost in that. That was the big quote that everyone wants to talk about. But if you listen to the entire podcast, there's a lot of things that Fred said there, which kind of points him um, wanting to stay in Toronto. And and something that I think also stood out to me in regards to him being so adamant on wanting to get paid is take a look at the landscape and the teams that are supposed to be pursuing Fred Van Vliet. We've got the Knicks, the Hawks, the Pistons, and the Suns. Now, Maybe the you can Knicks and Charlotte, but yeah, go ahead. You hit the maybe you the can, money. you're yeah. right. You're right. Um, so with the Knicks and the Pistons already, we're hearing word out of, I believe it was John Hollinger was saying that they're starting to direct their attention elsewhere. There's no specific names out there, obviously with Russell Westbrook now saying that he wants out of Houston. I'm sure that New York will be knocking on that door. Um, again, the Pistons have already started to look elsewhere and the Suns are rumored to be going after CP3 the Hawks are rumored to be going after Drew Holiday. A lot of this sounds like the suitors are starting to step away, possibly because they feel like Fred is probably going to stay in Toronto. Or maybe they just feel like there are greener pastures with other free agents. Regardless, if the number of suitors are starting to diminish, Fred's bargaining power is out the door. All of a sudden it is, okay, the Raptors see there's no suitors. They can offer as little as they want. So Fred's got to keep plowing away at this. Like, no, no, no. 
I'm not I'm not giving you that hometown discount. So a couple of things are at play here. But I think that if we look at the entire landscape, that for me gives me some uh, at least some comfort knowing that regardless of what Fred says, he's a businessman. He just wants to get paid. But at the same time, he does want to win. And that situation is currently present for him in Toronto. Andreas, what about yourself? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think I think that snippet was taken out of context because so many – let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things, this has definitely been quite a lousy offseason. If it wasn't so short because of the pandemic and 2020 just being, zon- you know, just all over the place, I think, like, no eyes would be on this offseason at all because, like, you look, at, you look at the top prospects – now compared to next year you know Russell now is like oh my god finally like a huge name is like out there but like next year all eyes are on Giannis and a a boatload of people compared to this year so um with that in mind Fred Van Vliet has become a part of that target where it's like he is one of the most discussed names where in other years like last year he probably wouldn't have been you know compared to like Kawhi compared to Anthony Davis um so and as we all know, Anthony Davis, even though he's still a name this year, is likely staying with the Lakers, so it doesn't matter. Point is, he has been discussed, and that means that his talent has been noticed. So because of that, I guess it's easy to, you know, do the whole fake news thing, grab a snippet, toss it out there. At the end of the day, Jay's right. The guy just wants to get paid. He wants to be – I mean, the guy's a champion. The guy is becoming well-known as a, as a two-way player, a fantastic guard. So – you know, he obviously wants a recognition. And let's also be honest, the media is also great for trade prospects because if he said, well, I don't need anything, no one's going to offer much for him and whatever. So he wants to, he wants that payday and the world has heard that he wants that payday. And that payday could even come from Toronto where they say, Hey, listen, we respect you. We really want you. But at the end of the day, if we're looking for that huge um, key player, maybe honest or somebody else, uh, I don't know how overboard with the price we can go. And I think Jay's number is really good. The one was at the 20 mil. So yeah. um, Ideally less, but yeah, that's that's probably the walk away there for the Raptors, my guess. Right. Uh, we could definitely use them because I, I fully believe, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said that Lowry only keeps getting better and better. And I fully believe that, but that is going to stop at some point because he is getting older for an athlete. And we would love to have Van Fleet ushered in as the next in line. So um, I would love to have him stay. If he's like, you know, I just don't want to see his talents wasted on a team that's not going to be very good. And I don't mean any disrespect, like a Charlotte or like a Hawks or um, certainly not a New York Knicks. But again, I think they've already stopped uh, stopped inquiring about Van Fleet there. But like all the teams that are open for him, I don't know. Like I would like to see him flourish on a team but the thing is he wants to be a leader and to be a leader you have to kind of go for broke so I feel like in this particular situation if he wants chemistry he's got it right now because I don't know what chemistry he's going to get on the teams that aren't that great with that that might acquire him right now but um, if he wants to lead that's a different story so I can't I don't believe he's going to have both it's going to be one or the other lead and take a lesser team have chemistry and be on a team where you're not the leader and one thing uh, before I ask Derek what your what you believe your walkaway number is 
for Fred and the Raptors is um, to take into consideration Terrence Davis. And, and what I mean by that is, for me, before his allegations, my thought process was, okay, at some point, possibly as early as this time next year, Kyle Lowry is no longer a Raptor. And Fred jumps up into Kyle's spot as the leader and Terrence jumps into Fred's spot as the backup. With what's currently going on with Terrence on a legal standpoint, uh, does the incentive for the Raptors to sign Fred become that much more critical, right? That mm. you you can't, there's a possibility here that both of them may not be here next year, right? So uh, both of them meaning Terrence and Fred, right? So does that does that factor into what your walkaway number for the Raptors is? Like, does it go a little bit higher now? Um, I don't know that necessarily, I don't know that necessarily Terrence Davis affects uh, Fred Van Vliet's walkaway number as much as what you said, Jay. I think you hit right of the money, money is the landscape of the league, I think is going to be big here. Uh, you mentioned the Hawks' interest in Holiday, the, the Suns' interest in CP3, Westbrook is now on the market. Charlotte doesn't seem to be an, a destination uh, that I think he, that he would go to given, you know, Rozier and Devontae Graham was flourishing there. Um, I'm still keeping my eye on Detroit. The Dwayne Casey connection there, it seems interesting to me. They do have a clear need for a point guard. Um, I think that that could be an interesting destination. I'm also keeping my eye on the New York Knicks. Uh, even if they do overpay for Fred Van Vliet, they still have a ton of cap space. So they got a bunch of their uh, team option guys coming off the books and still are going to have room in 2021 if they want to decide to pair somebody in the backcourt with Fred Van Vliet or go for uh, uh, that wing that they've been looking for. Um, uh, Phoenix, I think, and you know what, Phoenix too, I'm not ruling out Phoenix either because I think Phoenix is also a good fit next to Devin Booker, uh, Fred Van Vliet obviously being able uh, to do what Booker can't defensively specifically and can shoot the ball as a spot-up guy and let Booker do a lot of the creation on that end as well. So I think uh, I, I'm still keeping an eye on those three teams being the Knicks, Phoenix, and Detroit as being potential bidders for Fred Van Vliet. And that's why I think my number rises up a little bit from yours, Jay. I'm going to go with my walkaway number as four for 85 uh, with a player option on that fourth year and maybe some uh, incentives for all-star uh, for three-point percentage for points per game, something that can get him a little bit higher, whether they're likely or unlikely is to be determined, but just some of those uh, little extra like goodies uh, in the bag, I guess, if you want to call it to try and uh, make it seem like that salary might be actually be a little bit higher than the, uh, than the agent number we'll call it, uh, or sorry, not the agent number. The agent number is the one that if, if he hits all the incentives, this is what he gets. That's what the agents like. To ah, okay. you, you know you know what I mean? So right, but I think, right. I think, I think the walkaway number is four for eight. And I think the report on Real GM was that four for 80 is what they need to pay him to also have max cap space in 2021. Um, I still think that there is a way that you could get off of a guy like Norman Powell if he picks up his player option. Uh, I think that you can uh, get off of a guy like Dwayne Hernandez uh, and Matt Thomas, whether you want to stretch those guys um, and, you know, find some value uh, on some minimum deals and also develop maybe some second rounders and some rookie contracts uh, that the Raptors have obviously done so good at uh, that could uh, that fill in the gaps there. If Giannis does choose uh, the Raptors as a destination. So I think that five, uh, five extra million that were split apart there, Jay, isn't necessarily the big, uh, isn't necessarily a big deterrent for the Raptors to be able to get, Giannis uh, if they need to while shedding that extra five million but I think we just differ a little bit 
on the landscape of the league. While I still understand that there's a small amount of bidders, I think the bidders, Fred Van Vliet actually fits in really well to those specific teams uh, outside of Charlotte, those uh, being obviously Phoenix, uh, Detroit, and the Knicks. So just based on that, that's my walkaway number 485 with a player option and maybe some incentives that get it up to 90. That sounds good. And, you know, if we're, if we're going to be discussing the Suns, I mean, can, can I throw out a signing trade there with, uh, with, with the Suns? Rubio and Oubre, is anyone interested? Ooh, Rubio and Oubre for Fred Van Vliet? <laughs> would, <laughs> what, oh, wouldn't that be interesting, eh? Oh, boy. Well, that... I mean, the, the point of bringing in Fred Van Vliet would make, would make Rubio... Uh, expendable, you know, that's right, yeah. Expendable, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And, you know, you sweeten the pot with, uh, with a wing like Oubre because... The Raptors are never short on wings. Like they, oh, all the kids have is wings for days. So, uh, does something like that interest you? Um, <laughs> funny. I wasn't prepared for that question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> say no. I didn't even consider that. That wasn't even something I remotely considered. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say no. Uh, I do. Uh, Ubre is enticing, but again, that's gonna be one year of Ubre. He's, uh, he's making 14 million next year, and then he's off. You know, Ricky Rubio do 17 million uh, this coming season and then another 17 million next year. Um, I think his shooting liability is just a kind of a problem. I don't think he's the defensive player that he once was touted to be as well. Um, but even though uh, Kelly Oubre is intriguing and I, le- I do like his, uh, uh, his potential uh, anywhere he, he might decide to end up, he's a Drew Hanlon client. I'm a big fan of Drew Hanlon as a trainer and uh, mm-hmm. the guys that he trains usually end up uh, doing well. So I do, uh, do like Kelly Oubre, but I, um, I, I think I like Fred Van Vliet a little bit more. Unless he, unless yeah. Fred Van Vliet decides he's not coming back, and then a sign and trade has to occur to actually help the Raptors to be able to get get someone, so we don't lose him for nothing. That would be very uh, generous on Fred Van Vliet's part, and I would definitely uh, we, that's something we would have to definitely explore should that happen. Kind of like how CP3 did to the Clippers when he went to the Rockets by opting into his deal so that they could trade for him instead of uh, opting out and walking for nothing. Uh, so kind of similar to that, I would say, but. Um, as of, uh, assuming Fred wants to come back and the, it's the Raptors initiating this trade, I would say no. If Fred says, oh, I don't necessarily want to come back, but I'll just do this sign and trade thing so you can get it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Give me some Kelly Oubre. Makes sense. I like it. Um, you guys, uh, this is probably a shorter conversation, but I think we know the answer here. Do you guys see, uh, OG and OB taking, uh, the, uh, the designated player extension here? Uh, I, I think, um, he can make more money uh, if he actually decides uh, to enter restricted free agency uh, and get paid more next year. I'm assuming that OG is going to step into a bigger role this year. Uh, I would assume he already showed a lot of good things last year, not just being uh, potentially one of the best on ball defensive players in the entire league, uh, but also being able to do stuff off the dribble. You know, uh, we know OG is his three and D guy, but, I'm sure you guys can agree that we saw a little bit more from OG in terms of attacking closeouts. You know what I mean? Two dribbles and a good decision, uh, being able to put the ball on the floor, a little bit of stuff in the mid range, just overall growth from OG's game after uh, what was kind of a terrible season for him last year, right? The, uh, the appendectomy, the death of his grandmother never really got his foot off the ground uh, in terms of moving in the regular season and didn't play any in the playoffs. And the first opportunity he got, uh, he, he showed improvement offensively and, hit one of the biggest Raptor shots in recent memory and the biggest shot of his career. 
and uh, basically showed no emotion like a killer. So you love to see, you love to see that. And uh, basically, I assume he's going to wait till next offseason uh, to enter a restricted free agency in which the Raptors hopefully will pay him uh, a number that fits with their plan. But uh, overall, I don't expect him to take uh, the, uh, the extension eligible uh, money that will be on the table for him this year. Do you guys uh, disagree? Do you think there's any argument for OG taking that money uh, just to get the stability? Or what do you guys think? Yeah, and, and just to just so that the listeners are aware of the two options here, if OG were to take the extension that does lock him in, and there is that stability that you were re- referring to, Derek, in terms of you know we, we don't we've he's had three full seasons, and you know his second one was was horrible, right? right. And uh, if if he's at all worried about his injury history or even just his bad luck, I always find that he's he's the first one who ends up on the floor. Uh, with a poke in the <laughs> eye or something like that. So I, I can see why he might be a little bit tense about waiting a year to get paid. But um, I, I do agree with you in terms of, you know, his he's, he's got a better payday and probably a better situation if he waits until next year. And what that means is that next season, he would have to wait until the Raptors, quote unquote, sign a max free agent. That's the ideal That's here. Right. And then whatever's left over is going to go to him. Uh, which would still end up being more than an extension that he signs now. So yeah, the the signs point to yeah he should absolutely wait a year. But you know if he ends up signing now, I mean we saw it with with Siakam last year. I I wouldn't fault him if he ended up taking the extension now. I just I, I just agree with you in terms of like the better route is to wait a year. Yeah, for sure. Andreas, you agree? Oh yeah, I I firmly agree with that. I think Jay basically hit all of the points on the head. And uh, in terms of him just being you know, like a player and trying to figure out his his future. I think that one year where he was out for most of the year kind of uh, stunted his growth. But as, as you pointed out so aptly, he was doing fantastically well the last season. So I think, um, I think he's the kind of person to not be impulsive. I think he would like to grow as a player a lot more and see what he can bring to the Raptors, you know, perhaps as a starter as um as a as a main option after Siakam and Lowry and hopefully Van Vliet. Um I think he's the kind of person where he wouldn't just assume that other teams are, are champing at the bit to, to to sign him. And he will likely try to wait it out, let's say. So um I don't know. I, I, I see a bright future for for somebody like OG who is um you know he's introverted, he's all about the game. And I'm, I'm excited and I'll be happy whatever he does. Um, but I, I think he's very calculative. So I, I think he's going to wait it out. Yeah, I would agree, Andreas. Um, very quickly, do you guys have any targets of uh, guys that you could add to this roster uh, for next season? Uh, the Raptors are going to have probably the, uh, the full MLE to work with, which means they can offer uh, a contract of up, for, up to $9.2 million, uh, which uh, does not count toward their cap number. Uh, but does count toward their tax number. They're looking like they're not going to be uh, in the luxury tax, if I had to guess. So they got $9.2 million to play with. I'm going to assume that they're not going to add any excess money for next season to keep that 2021 plan open, as we talked about. Maybe we can discuss that a little more in detail later. Uh, but with that full uh, that full mid-level exception of $9.2 million, is there anybody on your mind that, you, uh, in terms of free agents that you think might be a, uh, a target for the Raptors to get just on a one-year deal? To tie... No, actually, no, it's not a tie. I'm more, I, I have two guys in mind. Uh, Harry Giles and Chris Dunn are the two that come to mind. Uh, Harry Giles can, 
is is a perfect raptor in terms of someone who is young he's a development he can still grow he's just been stuck on this really crappy kings team mm-hmm. and uh, seeing him work under work in our with our development staff is going to work wonders for him i think if we're able to get him for the mle that's that's a win in terms of a replacing some of the 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 big man minutes we're likely going to lose if Gasol does eventually go to Spain or if Ibaka doesn't find the right deal here in Toronto. Um, and so, yeah, I lead more towards wanting uh, Harry Giles, but a, but a close second, or I guess a, a, the booby prize in this would be Chris Dunn. And the reason why I like him is just, he's just a defensive monster and how he managed to play that like I think he was leading the league in steals percentage last year, and he fits the bill of a he, he's like a guard version of of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who right. we know is not going to be coming back to the Raptors. So having him signed um, again, and, and I hate that we keep bringing up Terrence Davis here, but assuming that Terrence Davis is not playing for the Raptors next year, uh, I think getting someone like a Chris Dunn to just cause havoc on defense is a is not a bad secondary prize. So for me, it's it's one of those two guys. Right. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I know Harry Giles is definitely a Blake Murphy fa- Murphy favorite. He's been banging the table for that all year, and uh, your uh, your explanation is just as good. I, I totally agree with why he and yourself would want to go for Harry Giles. I think that's uh, I think that's a perfect uh, candidate. I'm uh, I'm kind of interested, and in, and I know I'm not sure if he's going to pick up his player option. Um, something about Willie Cauley Stein intrigues me. I think it's I think it's very similar to that. You know, he is 27 on the older side of things. Um, he's not, he's He's been in the league for five years. He's got a player option of 2.2 million. Um, you know, I, I I don't necessarily know that he's going to pick that up 100%. I mean, has he done enough to earn maybe that in free agency? I mean, I would think so. I think he could get. I think he can get a, fi- a one-year five million dollar deal somewhere, and I, and I think the Raptors would be happy to give that to him, especially with the idea that Gasol is going back to Spain. If you want to give Ibaka a one-year balloon payment and have Willie Cauley Stein come in and be and use a bit of your MLE on uh, on him uh, as a potential guy that can prove himself as a backup center, and uh, who knows, he plays well enough, he could even uh, move into the starting center role if Ibaka were to walk the the next year and uh, and have him on a good deal. So um, something about Willie Cauley Stein intrigues me, assuming that he opts out of that player option. Um, I'm also looking at. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I, I thought about Wesley Matthews um, again, but I, I think he can be had for something under the MLE again, 33 year old shooting guard. Uh, it, it feels like we have a lot of guys to play that shooting guard, uh, play that shooting guard role, but I don't know something about Matthews intrigues me. seems like a low risk uh, guy to, to bring in. Uh, other than that, I can't really think of uh, really too, too many. I um, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, uh, that the Raptors actually should, I should think that they should draft a point guard. Uh, in the draft at 29, and I think this draft mm. has uh, a lot of point guards uh, to be had. So I'd like to uh, take that route instead of the stopgap. So that probably be my pushback against your uh, your Chris Dunn point there, Jay. Uh, but um, but I do I do like Chris Dunn, especially his uh, defensive prowess fits in nicely with uh, Toronto system there. Uh, anything for you, Andreas? Anybody that comes to to mind for the MLE or uh, or anybody else that you might be just intrigued to see in a Raptor uniform? Well, the main thing is. Um... You know, you brought up the whole thing about the guard, so I feel like that section is covered, and that was never my primary concern. My primary concern, my primary concern, sorry, is as you as you pointed out, Gasol leaving potentially, uh, Ibaka potentially leaving. There's some rumor now, apparently, that Durant's trying to draft him to Brooklyn, 
which would be dope for Ibaka, but it would be terrible for us. So we've got to find people to, to figure out like, you know, maybe like that position. So, um, I like there, there are so many, so many options for, but it, basically it's like that defensive presence. Maybe if we move things around, move uh, Siakam to the, to the five, which, you know, I not preferred, but um God, we have like, we have seen that work. We've even seen OG play the five, right? Like that small ball lineup right. can work. It's just I don't that's know true. if we can run that for a full NBA season. Like, that's, that's what just... I'm saying. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, not preferred. Yeah. We're not we're not Mike D'Antoni. We know our limits. Hey, and, so. and Nick Nurse is liable to try anything, man. You never know with that. When you, he's a defensive genius, maybe maybe he maybe he thinks he can play OG and stack him at a five for a whole year. But no, I tend to agree. <laughs> probably 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 not something. In fact, no, I'm gonna go a step further. For, further, definitely not something you want to run for a whole season. No, he likes he likes to have options, and that's why he's such a great coach. He likes to try things out. He doesn't like a one-and-done type deal where it's like seven seconds or less or the all-small ball. I'm sorry to keep ragging on that, Tony, but, like, he's got to, like – I mean, if you're known for seven seconds or less, don't you think every coach in the league is going to try and stymie that? I he's, he's a division. He's a division rival now. You can totally keep ragging on him. <laughs> good um i'm just trying to like i'm trying to like flip through the the free agents uh a really good one if we could get him but he's probably gonna be too expensive so we'd have to finagle in some way uh if we oh no that's the that's the wrong holiday well justin holiday would be good as well drew holiday if we <laughs> hey all the holidays are good <laughs> yeah, yeah i love drew hey you, you want to bring in drew holiday yeah <laughs> what's it gonna cost though uh, we, we signed Justin and we just trade and we say, Hey, we made a mix up. Like, yeah, exactly. So Put him in masks. So he got it mixed up in COVID. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed that the Marcus cousins is currently available now. Yeah, that's interesting. Make the argument there. If we could see, I know he could play for cheap because he's done so twice already, but that was for the Lakers and for the Warriors. Would he be willing to take a pay cut with us? Because as much as the guy bothers me, I think at the five, he'd be ruthless. I think he'd be fantastic. Plus, the occasional three, we could always use that, especially if we're having an off day with, like, um, Siakam lobbing up threes. Or if we were to lose Van Vliet, we definitely need another another three ball. So, I don't know. DeMarcus Cousins is interesting. Now, he did tear tear his ACL – uh, the last time we saw him, I think he, I think it was in a pickup run, actually, like a non-contact pickup run, if I remember yeah. correctly, where he just That's tore his ACL out of nowhere. Didn't even play a game for the Lakers. Um, so, like he, well, so uh, I'm gonna go a step further, Andreas. He could definitely be had for cheap. I think he's gonna play for the minimum. Like he's, he just needs to show that he can play basketball without getting hurt at this point. Uh, like that's that's the level that we're at here. Like last time we saw him, he was in playing in the finals for the Warriors and he, uh, against the Raptors, and he did have a couple good games. But I think yeah. uh, ultimately he was a liability to some extent for the Warriors on the floor defensively. And I and uh, there's nothing that tells me that he won't continue to be that if he gets back sure. on the floor again. Um, so you know maybe that could be an option, but I still would like to have a third center that yes. maybe fills that defensive role. And, and is Chris Boucher that guy? I mean, that's a name we still haven't really brought up. Like at, at 28 years old, is Chris Boucher going to come back uh, on this roster? Uh, looks like he's a restricted free agent, uh, $1.9 million cap hold. What is he looking for in restricted free agency? Is there any suitors out there for a 28-year-old Chris Boucher? Uh, I don't think there is personally. I think he. I think we could bring him back uh, yeah. for something close to uh, – uh, 
you know, the, the room, except I know we have more than the room exception, but the room exception number, which is around, uh, you know, three or three million or so. Um, I think he would come back for three million. And if you want to, uh, between that and uh, DeMarcus Cousins minimum contract, you got uh, your second and third center spot filled for somewhere in the five or $6 million range. I mean, I think that that, that could, that could potentially work if that's where you really want to go. Um, I personally like the, uh, the Willie Colley Stein uh, fit because I think he kind of no. fills both of those needs personally. Um, right, right. where he's not necessarily the guy that you want to throw the ball into the post offensively, but he's also a guy that you can just roll hard to the rim and can really catch the ball uh, with his athleticism above the square and really throw down some dunks for you. I think that's, I don't think that's Boogie Cousins anymore. I think he's more of a low to the ground center that really you need to throw the ball into the post with him and uh, trust that he's going to make his move, get to his fadeaway. Cause I think his athleticism is completely zapped. But uh, that's not to say I don't think it's an interesting option. I just think that if you do get Boogie Cousins, you want to have that third defensive center to probably fill that gap because I think he's going to be uh, a bit of a sieve, a turnstile, traffic cone. Yeah. What do you guys like using to, to describe <laughs> <laughs> that, sort of, that sort of thing I'm talking about? But you get what I'm saying. If you want, if you want a good, if you want a good defensive center who's great at rolling to the rim, uh, there is a Jakob Pertl who's available for. Oh, interesting. A good amount of uh, our MLE. I, there, so. I, I saw that. I saw that. Do, do we want Pirtle back? He was looking pretty decent. Yes. With his he yes. Well Please first. reunite Yak and Skills. Yak and Skills. I forgot about Yak and Skills. Hey, you know what? I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Now, I think the problem with uh, Yakup Pirtle is that he's probably going to want mul- multiple years at the MLE, and that's going to eat point. into 2021. So that probably will be the issue of bringing back Jakob Pertl is I don't think he's just going to take a one-year deal. But given this depressed free agent market and how good things are looking for 2021 in terms of teams with space and uh, the market for centers, maybe he is content to take a one-year deal at $9 million, $9.2 million and then get back out there. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he's still very young. I mean, he's still, like, even if he takes a one-year deal this year, gets back out next year, he could still get that four-year deal he's looking for. So uh, it all depends on what he's looking for. But if he's looking for anything more than uh, a one-year deal with the Raptors, I just don't think it's, it's worth giving him that money. At the, at the mid-level yeah good point um okay let's let's move on okay so this is let's let's kind of talk about this this overwhelming thing that none of the other 29 teams have a problem with in the nba but we're from canada so we do is we can't even play in our own arena next year or it seems that way uh because uh-huh. the canadian government doesn't want uh u.s citizens uh coming in and out uh, regardless of whether they're high-end nba players or not um Justin Trudeau and the Canadian government says, no, we're, we're not going to tolerate that. And I'm sure Doug Ford is very similarly on that same train of thought. All that leads to saying is where are the Raptors going to play next year, guys? We've heard a lot of different things and it's like a new city every day. And to be honest, I haven't actually caught up with what the latest one is. Jay, do you have an inkling as to what it is? Cause like, I've heard like everything at this point. I was on I was on CP24 this morning and I did mention Nashville? uh Newark. Oh yeah, Nash- Nashville is one of the newer ones, but the more yeah. realistic one uh, I believe is Newark. But uh you know, and you can throw out all the names you want. You can throw out Buffalo, you can throw out Louisville, you can throw out Kansas City, but for me it's it's down to two teams. Uh sorry, two locations. Newark is is ideal because it's right in the the hub of where all of the other division foes play. It's also the former home of the New Jersey Nets. So they have everything that we, we as a Raptors uh, team would want in terms of practice facilities and NBA arena and all that fun stuff and the ability to just stay in the States. 
But let me throw out one other suggestion to you, and it's starting to make some gain some momentum, and that is the ability to just stay in Toronto. Right. So there are two ways that this can happen. One, number one is a, um, and I'm obviously I just read Eric Corrine's, um latest for the Athletic on on how this could possibly work. Yeah, I did read uh, that, so I'm glad you're talking about this. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and one point he does bring up that I've actually forgotten about was that in, in the province of Alberta they've already started to use rapid testing for travelers. So this is a way to which they can try to bypass this mandatory 14-day quarantine of anyone entering Canada. So this rapid testing would take place, and then you'd self-isolate for about a day or two. Mm. Uh, if they're able to bring that over to Toronto, at, at very least just even for these NBA teams coming in, that could work. Um but there's no indication that that's being talked about or that that's even being considered. But you, you have to think that, you know, with Masai's current relationship with Justin Trudeau, maybe he's got some some good connection there to try to make something happen. Um, the other proposal, which Eric Kareem does not talk about, and is one I'm going to throw out to you guys, just for consideration, uh, two that are absolutely not going to happen, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. Number one, the NBA says... Your first 36 games are all on the road. Hopefully by the time the second half of the season starts, the <laughs> restrictions are lifted and you can have a 36-game homestand to end the season. Option number two, the Raptors just stay in Toronto, forfeit all their road games, but also win due to forfeit all their home games because teams can't come here because of the 14-day quarantine. They still enter the playoffs at 36 and 36 and they're fully healthy. So which of those options do you guys like? I oh, think we the, can't really do that one. Oh man, I thought the <laughs> Can first, we really? I thought the first one was ridiculous. The second one was even more <laughs> ridiculous. Oh my goodness. That's Jay, that is funny, man. Um, if I lost you some listeners, I apologize. No, no, no. That's that was a good laugh. I could I couldn't believe the second one was actually crazier than the first one. Um, <laughs> so the first one, the 36 at home, 36 on the road. The schedule makers are going to just lose their minds trying to make that happen. <laughs> I think that think that that's going to be just nuts, especially considering um, especially considering the fact that they're going to want to try to do this this baseball style stuff. Which actually, now that I think about it, might actually help that if they're going to be more consistently on the road and at home. If they want to do these baseball style series, that actually might. Uh, be helpful to that, but I still think that's going to be too difficult to pull off. And uh, there's no way that the Raptors played zero games in 2020-2021. So I'm just going to... But you do uh, agree. You do agree at 36 and 36, they will still make the playoffs. Yes, they'll probably they be the seventh seed, so yeah. they'll well, be in the East, fresh. Yeah. Yeah, that's in the indi- East, they'll be... That's an indictment against the Eastern Conference. That's the, the, Hornets, <laughs> the Hornets trying their best would have like like 10 games less. Like, guaranteed. Um, exactly. But like, I expend the energy, anyways. But 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 for the on the real though, like I think it's between Newark and, you know, hopefully some some deal working out where they can stay in Toronto. So you guys agree that the only thing keeping us from going to uh, Seattle is basically just the travel, right? Yes. Okay, because okay. that's 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 my ideal. But given the rest of the teams in the division, uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, was it Philly and Boston? Those are the other two, I believe. Am I, am I, I wrong with that? Um, I never follow the divisions because they really mean nothing in the NBA. <laughs> Not like they do. Especially they don't. Yeah. Um, but, they uh, used to mean a little more. Yeah. Just not anymore, unfortunately. No. But uh, um, 
yeah, so that that's the only thing keeping Seattle out of there. I think uh, I agree with you, Jay. Probably Newark is probably the best uh, option, just considering the uh, the proximity to the teams in the division. I would guess they stay in the Eastern time zone uh, uh, or whatnot. So that's probably the best option, I would think. What are we? Are you, Andreas? You got any unique ideas uh, other than what Jay kind of threw out there? <laughs> Not as New York as that. Uh, well, I, I guess one other I'll, – I'll one-up it, and uh, no listeners, I'm not serious, but deep down I am for selfish reasons. Uh, we can always just boot the Knicks down and just overtake their stadium, so that way everyone – Yeah, leaves. that makes we, sense. We don't need them in the league. We can stop pretending. <laughs> um, we can just but, play in uh, Detroit. I just thought about that. Play in Detroit. That's basically a home game your, every time we go your there home anyway. game. There's your home game. There you go. I wouldn't mind – Seattle outside of the travel because I'm a massive Storm fan and they just won the WNBA chip. So okay. why don't we have, uh, you know, them going back to back and the Raptors winning a chip in Seattle too. It would be fantastic. And the best part is they would win a championship and then just leave. So it's like we have a perfect Seattle, Toronto or Seattle Raptors uh, championship run. One, that's it. Just one time they win once and they leave. It would be, it would be, your destiny in the league, but that's that's probably not going to happen. We could also do that with New York, though. But you know, to have both would be would be great. Would we have to change names like like the Hornets did when um when the hurricane happened? Would we have to be the New York Raptors? No, no, it would be the <laughs> Toronto Raptors of Newark, New Jersey. I believe that that's the that'll be the name. I'm just kidding. So I don't know. ridiculous. Well, it's better than the Washington Football Club or whatever the hell. Like they, they, <laughs> yeah. It's like we we have to stick by this terrible problematic name so much that we can't think of actually, the Washington Polar Bears or the Washington No, Sharks actually, Dre, if 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 we do the Toronto Raptors of Newark, you just make that an acronym and it spells out Tron. I would totally Go Yo. for it. Oh my I would goodness. totally cheer for Tron. Oh my goodness. Look at this. This is groundbreaking <laughs> right here. This is oh, can you imagine our jerseys? <laughs> oh man, just do the Tron font and like I right, I'd I'd buy that right now. Get like, Daft Punk to do our you know our national anthems. <laughs> Holy man, we're getting crazy now. This is great. I love it though. This is this is just fantastic. All right, let, let's like get back. Let's get <laughs> let's get back to a somewhat serious topic here. Like, what does a home game look like for Toronto? Like, do you think this is an unfair advantage that we have to play? Like, assuming we do have to play in another you know state or whatever it is or Newark, let's say, just for the sake of the conversation, is this actually unfair that we actually can't? play in our own home arena and should these even count as a regular 36 home games like these 36 home games are not as fair of an advantage as the rest of the 2019s in the NBA can we agree on that and what do you think the uh the NBA will do to try and combat that well it's assuming that there's like even fans because as it stands right now there won't be even an attendance like the Lakers have just basically said we're not accepting people for the foreseeable future so if that doesn't matter and if we're all playing to empty stadiums I don't think it matters at all however when that starts um because I can imagine they would allow people in small isolated crowds to show up before the borders are open for us to play in Toronto again then I would argue perhaps because how many – I can imagine there's Toronto fans everywhere. Um, you know, the Raptors are a bit of a household name, and you see when you watch away games that there's Raptors fans everywhere, especially in, like, parts like Detroit. But um, how many would there be in, let's say, the top destinations we've listed, New York or in Seattle or in Nashville? I can't imagine a hell of a lot. Um, but then again, you 
you probably have people who just want to go to a, a basketball game, but they be, could be going for the opposition. So when that kind of stuff starts, I would say, yeah, it's definitely kind of going up. It's like an uphill battle. But until then, it's just going to be the same for everybody. It's just going to be empty arenas. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And I think that, you know, you know, to your point, the Lakers are the only team so far that have said they will have no fans. But um, uh, yeah, I, I can't really argue against that. And, I, and I, I would agree with you too, Derek, in terms of like, this is going to be a disadvantage for the Raptors. I mean, this is not an apples to apples comparison, but the but uh, TFC is doing the same in MLS right now. And they're performing just as well as you could have hoped for, right? They just finished one place short of the supporter shield. Oh my gosh, I'm talking about soccer. All right, back to or the Raptors <laughs> here. Uh, but I think that there there's a possibility here. As long as the the, the number of fans is quite limited, uh, it won't be as bad. But I can't help but think that, yeah, the, the Raptors are at a disadvantage here. And I think that, if anything, it's meant to be like that because uh, Raptors fans, you know, we've, we've all been fans since day one and we've always felt that we were the, the, the ugly stepsister or the Underdog forgotten child mentality. here. Exactly. So it, it only makes sense that they be the only team that doesn't actually have a home game this year. Fair. Um, I like what both of you guys said. I totally agree there. I also think one of the underrated things about playing on the road is not necessarily what happens when you get into the arena, but how you get to the arena, um, the travel, you know, just even, even being able to go for a seven hit game homestand and know that you're going to sleep in your own home for like two mm. weeks is like, it's comforting, right? Like, it's just like habits that you lean on, right? Like, uh, like if you have a girlfriend or a wife, like, oh, like I can count on, you know, being with my family, like, or spending time with, you know, my girl or, you know, being able to wake up in my own bed and cook my own meals. Like the, just the, the, the familiarity and the comfort and the habits that you can kind of lean back on during a homestand, I think, uh, goes a little bit underrated. And I don't think that the Raptors will obviously have that. Um, and I think that that's going to be at a disadvantage too. Um, but hopefully it'll be Newark's to actually just minimize the other portion of the thing that I think is underrated about um, playing on the road versus at home, which is the travel time and back to backs, which there's going to be a lot more of this year. If you're going to have to try and fit in a 72 game season. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, hopefully that the, the league will take that into account and place us uh, somewhere where uh, there won't be that much travel. And uh, I think that'll also, uh, that'll also be a factor when it comes to this sort of stuff. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but uh, you know, either way it's, Raptors basketball there's going to be Raptor fans that show up you know what I mean it's going to be the we the north flags it's still going to be Jack yelling buckets on the tv it's all going to feel the same can't wait yeah me either um the last thing I want to touch on before I guys let you go and you've been super generous with your time much appreciated I don't know how much like draft work you guys do or, or have done you guys got any targets for who the Raptors might take at 29 Xavier Tillman Xavier Tillman? Uh, well, I mean, he's one of the names, but like, I, I like, I like what I'm reading um, in terms of guys that could fall in that range. And you know, while it's very, um, it's very tempting to 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 think that the Raptors might actually trade out of that spot. I mean, that's that's another rumor that's kind of gaining steam here. Is the Raptors could just trade down so they could have another second round pick, and that's a difference in terms of salary you're paying and and, and guarantees and whatnot. Right. But in terms of who will be available there at 29, um, I, th- there's quite a few names, I think, that could be there. And one name in particular that I really do hope ends up with the Raptors is Leandro Balmaro. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a draft, draft and stash. But, you know, judging from what I've seen, and, and you know, there was a time when the, the draft and stash wasn't that 
effective. Um, you know, the Raptors definitely don't have a good track history here with that. And Nano DiColo, baby. Oh boy, still I believe he's still on the books. No, anyways. <laughs> I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, go ahead. But but someone like a Leandro Balmaro excites me because you know I, I think I've been I've been suckered into watching uh, you know game film that isn't from the NCAA or isn't from the NBA. And I'm thinking specifically about Balmaro's international film. I'm, I, I've I've gotten suckered into it before and thinking that this guy could be something and it ends up being nothing. But I don't know. This kid looks legit. And if the Celtics somehow pass on him um, with one of their, their – I, I, I predict they're going to have like – well, how many do they have? Like three first-round picks or something like that? Uh, if they do pass on him and he does fall to the Raptors, I do hope the Raptors get him. But at the same time, there are a number of, of players there. Like I, I already said Tillman, but um, um, you know, you were talking earlier about possibility of getting a guard. There are a couple of good guards there, right? And, and if – um, I'm starting to warm up to the fact that if if someone like a Trey Jones is someone that the Raptors pick up, I can I can live with that. It's not my ideal, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that could fall in the 29 range who I like. And then over down in number 59, I don't know if this wasn't the question, but the name I keep seeing over and over is, is Paul Ibuya, and that's another name that excites me in terms of a big that could possibly step in um, after a little bit of development in the G League. So. Yeah, some some exciting spots there. Uh, some some exciting guys, and I think that, that what's exciting about this draft specifically is that, you know, there isn't a clear cut number one superstar to be drafted at number one. It's kind of a uh, the, the the value picks are are in abundance actually. So anyone who falls in that twenty to thirty to forty range could really contribute and could really be um, you know the, kind of like that that next Siakam almost. So it's exciting for the Raptors, and then, um, I'm kind of looking forward to who they who they pick there at 29. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm all in on one guard, um, and that's Grant Riller. It's Grant Riller for me, 23-year-old um, senior out of Charleston. He played five years. Yeah, sure, he's 23. I get it. He's an older guy, but this is, uh, I'll give you a list of some older guys that have succeeded. Donovan Mitchell, C.J. Mm-hmm. McCollum, Robert Covington, Kyle Kuzma, Matisse Thybul, all these guys are seniors that are coming out. You know, some of them undrafted, some of them. Fred uh, Van Vliet. Vliet, Thank you. was just about to say, missed it. Uh, And I believe even Norman Powell was a senior, if I'm not mistaken, at UCLA. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me. But um, the point is, is that I think the ageism is a little overrated when it comes to avoiding these type of guys. And Grant Riller is offense ready, uh, right? Like right today. Like he can play in the NBA on offense today. He is a bucket. Uh, his finishing around the rim is ridiculous. Uh, he's got uh, the ability to shoot from three. Uh, he carried a massive offensive load at Charleston. He's got uh, a, a shiftiness to his game that I don't think has been with the Toronto Raptors uh, for some time, maybe since uh, Ray for Alston skipped to my Lou. Like it's been that long since we've had a, a guard that's really been shifty uh, in that mold. And he's got it. He's got it when it comes to his handle. He can move guys east and west, uh, get the defender to drop, step back. He's got the whole package offensively. The questions really come with him is defensively. And uh, we, we know that if you're not going to buy in defensively, you're not going to play for the Toronto Raptors. That's just how it works uh, mm-hmm. with Dwayne Casey. You don't play defense, you don't see the floor. And he's showing a lot of good tools, in my opinion. He slides his feet well. He does 
And there's a lot of that um, beating his guy to the spot for charges thing, kind of like Lowry. Now, Lowry does it more on a help side instead of actually doing it on the ball. Grant really likes to do it on the ball, where he'll literally just anticipate your uh, your first dribble and your first step uh, into your right or left and just beat you to the spot and take a charge. He's really good at that. Uh, he's just not engaged at all times. And I think that um, when you can get the engagement uh, from uh, a guy that has the tools to be a, a successful defender, I think the Raptor system is the perfect system uh, to be able – to get those, uh, to get that buy-in uh, from guys like that. If you guys remember specifically, do you remember um, when Stanley Johnson and uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson came in this year? I think uh, it was Nick Nurse that called them out, and uh, he said that you guys don't really know how we play defense here, do you? Like mm-hmm. you don't understand that. Like you don't play defense, you don't get on the floor. And you know Stanley Johnson didn't get on the floor, and that's for many many other reasons. But um, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, when he got on the floor, was primarily because he was a guy that could play some defense. And, uh, and I think Grant Riller will buy into that role. And whether you lose Lowry uh, in the 2021-2022 season because he doesn't come back for whatever reason, uh, maybe he's just uh, worth too much, maybe he just uh, wants to uh, ring chase again, whatever Lowry's uh, uh, motives are, who knows. Uh, if Fred Van Vliet doesn't come back for we lose the bidding on somebody, uh, I think that a 23-year-old Grant Riller uh, could come in and really provide a, a, an offensive punch. And I think you get him into that Raptor system uh, with uh, where uh, it forces you to uh, be accountable defensively and buy in. I think that's a perfect fit uh, for Toronto. The player comparison, uh, a lot of people use Fred Van Vliet as a player comparison. I don't necessarily agree with that. To me, he's more like Dennis Schroeder. To me, he's more like Dennis Schroeder uh, with a bit of a better jump shot, a bit of better finishing, but not as quick of a first step. Dennis Schroeder's first step is ridiculously fast. And he, he's got Griller as a quick first step, but not Schroeder fast. Schroeder's first step is, again, just completely ridiculous. Um, so that's the guy I'm looking for at 29. Malachi Flynn I also think is interesting there. I like Xavier Tillman, like you said, Jay, as well. Trey Jones slips there. I'm kind of interested in that, too. Um, even, even a Nico Mannion, like, I'm, I don't know why he's, he, he went from, he went from 14 to 45 really quick, like really quick. And I'm not exactly sure what changed in that time. And I know you're giving me this. I'm not sold center, on Mannion. Okay. You're not, not sold, sold on him. Not sold on Mannion. That's, that's fair. But, uh, wrong, wrong wildcat. Wrong wildcat. Wrong wildcat. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Not a Kentucky in Arizona. I got you. Uh, but yeah, Riller's the guy that I, I'm, I'm locked in on. And that's the guy I want to see in a Toronto Raptors uniform when they pick at 29. Andreas, you got anybody that's uh, on your mind? I don't follow uh, college and, and that type of thing as much as I should. Okay. Uh, I, I try to play, you know, catch up with this type of stuff where it's like who's going to be drafted. So unless you have like, you know, uh, Sir Ball himself who keeps selling his sons, uh, LaMelo now. So <laughs> that's like the, the greatest frame of reference. Um, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, um, Outside of the guys that, that you've already mentioned, um, which I'm trying to like play catch up over like the last couple of weeks or so, um, this this draft it really is a bit of a crapshoot because it feels like one of those ones where anybody could be good or anybody could be meh. Like yeah, that's right. it, it's not really as standout as some of the ones in the past. Like you know we've brought up Mitchell. Uh, you know, you can bring up ones like like Ben Simmons, where it's like, okay, we need to get that guy. Even the top ten is like really out of like Anthony Edwards. Like, is he actually going to be good or is he going to be a bust? We don't actually know yet. So, um, the only person I could think of outside of what you guys have said, and this is plainly because I'm uneducated in this type of thing, maybe uh, Tyrell Terry. Where, uh, oh, that's a good name. 
we could use some floor spacing because uh, I brought up, you know, if we're going to keep OG and we're going to keep uh, Siakam, we're going to try to get them to do their thing, that's spacing on the floor. And the Raptors love spacing. And if we lose Gasol, we're going to need to bring that spacing back as much as possible. So perhaps somebody like him who, who can create the spacing, not defensively, but offensively, um, we need a shooter, especially if we lose Van Fleet, we need that shooter. Because right now Van Fleet, and I don't know if I'm alone in saying this, is our most dependable shooter. So um, we just need a guy that can hit buckets and, and open up. Now, the thing is, I haven't seen this game too much. What's he like defensively? Because I'm not saying that hypothetically. I honestly don't know as much as I should. Is he decent defensively or would he be a liability? I haven't studied enough to give you a solid opinion on that, but I've just seen him mock to Toronto in a, in a few different, uh, in a few different mocks and agreed the floor spacing is valuable to me. So that's basically all I have uh, on Tyrell Terry. I'm not going to act like I know more than I do when it comes to his game, but um, um, not a bad name to throw out there. I think the Raptors would be happy to have him. The disrespect for Matt Thomas, our best shooter. <laughs> Come on, Dre. <laughs> okay, I, I will on. say there, there is one, that's one thing true. to kind of, there is one thing to keep in mind, though, uh, is is the timing of the draft, right? The draft is on the 18th. Two days later, free agency opens. So by the time the draft happens, we're still not going to know what's happening with Fred Van Vliet. And that's interesting and, and very um, – be, because of oh, – Good point there, Jay. I forgot about that. That's so right. if, if, if the Raptors end up choosing, let's say, a, a Grant Riller, what does that indicate to Fred, right? Are, are they already drafting his successor? Or is this uh, them trying to make sure that, uh, or, or if they draft Xavier Tillman or if they draft, you know, like a, a, a Balmaro, what does that say? Is that say that, you know, what does it indicate really? And right. on top of all that is I do anticipate a lot of trades. Now, whether or not those will be involving the Raptors in any way, I don't, I don't, I haven't heard anything. I don't think so, but there will be, I think, a lot of trades, specifically in the upper half of the draft, that's going to affect the landscape of the NBA. And how that affects the Raptors is, is your, your guess is as good as mine. But I think that we're going to see a lot of action on, on Wednesday. And the action that we should at, initially should be concerned about is, is who the Raptors draft at 29 and even at 59, because there very well could be someone who falls down there um, who can play right away. But what does that mean for, for our plans on two days later, right, with regards to who we're going to be signing? So uh, let's keep an eye on, on who the Raptors eventually draft and absolutely overthink every single decision. Yeah, for real, right? And, and we should point out, too, whoever the Raptors draft um, – we we should we we should just we should just blindly say like hey good pick because whether it's Delon Wright <laughs> no I'm serious whether it's Delon Wright OG Ananobi Pascal Siakam Norman Powell Fred VanVleet uh, Terrence Davis I don't care if you have a first round pick second round pick undrafted like Masai and Bobby Webster and the scout team are incredibly, incredibly well-versed at taking these non-premium picks and turning them into contributors. And in some cases, mainly looking at Pascal Siakam, premium players. So yeah. whoever they pick, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in Good for pick. it. Good pick. Good pick. Good pick. I'm, Good telling pick. You, I'm telling the Raptors right now. Good pick. I don't even Future know what headlines. Future Start headlines. Future headlines. Evergreen, evergreen tweet. Good pick. It's starting to sound like Giannis at the All-Star drafting where it's like, oh, it's a good pick, LeBron. That's a good pick. <laughs> 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 uh, that's funny. 
All right, guys, I've kept you long enough. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on. The, I'm assuming you guys are going to have content coming fast and furious uh, as uh, the, the NBA starts to, you know, ramp up again. I mean, we haven't had trades in like what feels like, well, like 14 months. We've been analyzing the same draft prospects for 14 months. Like this is getting crazy here and we're just kind of waiting for the floodgates to open. And I'm sure you guys are going to have a lot to talk about when that does happen. So uh, Andreas, Jay, thank you guys so much. Uh, tell people where they can find uh, some of your guys work. If you uh, not only the podcast, but if you write on the outside and uh, whatever you guys are interested in plugging, plug away, baby. Let's hear what you guys are say. Yeah. Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for having us. Uh, well, Jay is like an expert in like numbers and stuff. Uh, I don't know what you're doing bringing me on. I'm like a chicken with his head cut off when it comes to drafts. And, <laughs> don't, and say that, and, don't say that, bro. Don't say that. And money, but uh, I'm happy to always discuss basketball. I, I, I love the sport, so um, I greatly appreciate it. You could find my own personal work. Uh, I do a lot of film reviews and interviews and masterclass lessons on the making of movies. Uh, you can find me doing that kind of stuff at films fatale f-i-l-m-s-f-a-t-a-l-e.com those spaces um my top 100 films of the 1960s is going to launch next month uh december 1st i believe there's a lot of weird crap on there so check it out uh what about you jay uh, plug away yeah you can find me on twitter at rosalesaurus r-o-s-a-l-e-s-a-u-r-u-s you can find uh, my writing and our podcast, That's a Wrap, on Raptors HQ. You can also check out our Twitter handle, That's a Wrap Pod. And um, yeah, that's where you can find us. And yeah, again, I, I echo what Dre said. Derek, thanks so much for, for having us on. This was a lot of fun. We definitely got to bring you onto our pod at some point. And, uh, you know, the way that this off season is going, I, I don't think we'll even have time for that because I think the season is starting <laughs> before we can blink. Tomorrow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. No, uh, again, thanks for coming on. I'd be happy to come on your guys' podcast, do a little home and home, maybe during the season when we get a couple games in. Uh, yeah, feel free to have me on. I'd, uh, I'm always happy to talk some Raptors. But uh, yeah, th thanks again for coming on, guys, and uh, enjoy uh, what should be a fun off season and uh, another fantastic Raptor season. Appreciate it. Let's make Tron happen. Yeah, go Tron. <laughs> go Tron. Tron 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, Thank have you a good so one. Much.